hospitals doing the right thing with patient-friendly payment, today on HFMA's Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Grotto. Today, I'm talking with HFMA Chief Content Executive Brad Dennison about patient-friendly payment and its coverage in the media. But first, let's hear what's happening in healthcare finance news. Here's HFMA Senior Editor Nick Hutt and HFMA Policy Director Sean Stack. Hello, everybody. In this segment, we wanted to discuss an intriguing new project that could really simplify some of the administrative work that takes place leading up to a care episode. It's called the Commons Project. And I know, Sean, you've been watching this unfold with great interest. Can you tell everybody what it's about? Hey, Nick. Yeah, I've been following this and working with the folks at the Common Project for a while on this initiative. And and Rick Gundling, my boss, has two here at HFMA. And this is really a smart health insurance card initiative. You know, there are over a thousand different health insurers out there in the U.S. with their each individual ID card format. And, you know, that translates to a lot of lift in access at either large physician groups, physician offices or hospitals. You know, the manual entry and challenge with finding all the pertinent information on all these different types of cards where everything's located in different areas, the tiny print that just leaves room for, you know, typos, copying over invalid information, registration eligibility errors, as you know, are the leading cause of claim denial errors. I think they come in around around 22% right now. So this process is really kind of moving that manual process to a QR code initiative process where more and more plans are beginning to have digital cards or have actual health insurance cards with QR codes on them that the hospital can scan and all that information uploads automatically from that QR code, just like you're at a restaurant loading a menu and it's secure and that includes tamper-proof digital signature. It eliminates all those check-in backlog errors and really kind of expedites the check-in process and makes it more valid and therefore eliminates a lot of those eligibility coverage errors that we're getting right now. Is there a way to leverage this information for broader, even digital health management? I know you and I have been talking about disruption and just ideally allowing people to manage health data and share data from wearables with their doctors a little bit more easily. Is, is there an application in, in that regard? Yeah, that's an interesting question, Nick. And and actually, this initiative is talking about that right now, kind of peripherally, because we're still trying to get more buy-in. But there there is a lot of buy-in right now into this QR code initiative. CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, Epic, Amazon, Samsung, Google, and Apple are all on board, along with tons of insurance companies are really wanting to push for standardization of these QR codes and this digital information. And I also left out there that there's two major state Medicaid programs that are going digital and pushing for QR code usage in the next couple of years. And that is Louisiana's Medicaid and California has a smart health cards initiative. But you're right, Nick, we can see this as we're talking through this, we can see this cascade into a lot of benefits. So saying that, you know, Nick presents and he's allergic to three different drugs, that information being embedded in that QR code somehow, or maybe Nick, your blood type. 
So we are looking at ways that additional information could be embedded in these secure QR codes that would really have some benefits to patient safety as well. So if that's kind of what you're getting to. Yeah, absolutely. So potentially game-changing application of technology in terms of both consumer and provider ease of access to information. Uh, Real quick, what is uh, HFMA's role in this project? Consulting or how are you working with them on this? We're really teaming up with the Common Project to get education out to our providers, especially our large and small providers who really have this administrative burden of entering in all this information manually. We're getting that education out that this um, initiative is underway so they can chime in. We have Mayo Clinic's already on board to sponsor this initiative to really engage with the Common Project in building this out in a standardized format. So it's more of an education piece right now just to make our members aware, our physician groups in our hospitals aware that this is going on, that this is being pushed. There's a lot of meetings coming up in May with the California Initiative kickoff. There's a lot of meetings going in around um, D.C. on this initiative. So really just getting them engaged and getting our members feedback on potential issues they could see or potential benefits that they could see beyond the current scope, just to try to develop this process as clean and as uniform as we can. All right. Well, Sean, thank you for sharing news on this very exciting development. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks. The cover story in the March issue of HFM Magazine is about one of my favorite topics, patient-friendly payment. Our writer, Jenny Williams, explored successful revenue cycle practices from organizations like MAP award-winning Henry County Health Center. Today, I'm talking with HFMA's chief content executive, Brad Dennison, about the story and what kinds of stories our members can expect in the future. Patient-friendly payment is an age-old topic here. We've got resources about it. We've talked about it on this podcast before. This cover story really gets into the importance of the patient financial conversation. What makes this story so important right now? I think there's a patient population out there that uh, where their insurance has changed um, as their jobs have changed. Obviously, lots of people have job hopped over the past few years. There's people who don't have insurance that had it before. There's people who are underinsured now. So I think that catching these changes in insurance up front and being sure that things are clear from the point of service on through the process is just hypercritical at the moment. This article begins with one CFO talking about his health system putting a stop to financial conversations before care was delivered. This was early on in the pandemic. They were afraid that cost would deter patients from getting the care they needed. But an interesting thing happened when they reinstated having those conversations again. Their point of service collections went up. So what do you think this tells us about what patients really want when it comes to financial conversations? Well, two things on this with Henry County. First of all, they saw a barrier to service and they cleared it out. And I think that was an important takeaway from that and what they did. And if you think back, this was a time when people were deferring all sorts of care. It wasn't just I'm sick and not going to the hospital. People were deferring screenings. And, you know, today we have a sicker patient population than we did before because of deferred care. So I applaud Henry County for getting a barrier out of the way to be able to provide service. The other side of this, though, is when they brought the patient financial conversations back, 
and the collections went up, I think it just goes to show that patients want to have that conversation and need to have that conversation up front. So one part of the story that I found really compelling, and I, I know you did too, is the discussion about major media outlets like the New York Times criticizing hospitals for their collections practices. And I think now is a good time to mention for anybody listening who who doesn't know, you have a long career in media before you started with us, right? Yes. Uh, I actually started out as a reporter and rose through the ranks to become an editor. Uh, I was an editor at the Chicago Sun-Times. I've been a vice president of news for a couple of different national companies, um, a senior vice president at uh, Gannett, which uh, used to be called Gatehouse, ran my own media company for five years before I came to HFMA. So yeah, I've been around the block. So I mentioned the New York Times specifically, but it's it's not just them. It's industry sources, it's other major media outlets. And it's obvious to a healthcare industry person in some of this reporting that there are knowledge gaps and lack of understanding. What are some examples of that when it comes to the topic of collections? Well, I think that they all come from the point of view when you read even some of the recent New York Times stories that collections somehow are bad. Collecting money from patients or providing a service is a bad thing. It's a negative. And that's just not the case. It's a wrong assumption. It's not how business works. Whether it's a for-profit hospital or not-for-profit hospital, it is a business. It needs to be run like a business. You have to provide a service and collect for it. What other business would we look at and say, how dare they try to collect money for the service or product that they provide? So a lot of reporters come from the point of view of certain things are automatically a negative. And I don't think collections can be viewed as automatically negative. That's part one. You know, and there's been scrutiny over discussion with frontline workers of how to collect better and more at the point of service. But what that really means is having a high quality financial conversation with the patient up front at the front desk before they receive service. How many times have you or I been in an urgent care center with our kids and asked for a clarification on what our portion would be and didn't get an answer? didn't get the right answer. You know, that's a thing. So I think the assumption being made about criticizing how to better have these conversations up front with the patient, which is essentially what's happening, is just uh, very misguided. Now, you can get into a lot of things later in the collections process, right? So as invoices age and go through that process, there's a host of people who may not have the ability to pay. You would hope that you smoke out the people up front who don't have the ability to pay, who qualify for charity care or three or 400% below the poverty level, whatever it is, whatever your measures are. But things get very, very complicated, I think, along the way in that process. And I know a lot of health systems, maybe every health system, have really worked on these policies and procedures over how they collect over the past few years. So I think like a lot of things uh, that land in media stories, they're far more complicated than the reporter really understands. Now, I'm not saying they're not rooted in some reality, right? There are facts here, but I think they tend not to do a quality 360 walk around the story. They're really good investigative reporters out there, but there are also a lot of investigative reporters who get something in their sights and it's like a river with a current running one direction. And to find something that moves in the other direction doesn't fit the narrative 
And I think even in a lot of cases lately, we're seeing stories being written where there is no attempt to get the other side of the story or to get clarification or to truly understand how something works. And I think it's something that we're going to be more deliberate about in some of our content. We are going to be more deliberate about it in our content. And that's for a few reasons. One is that our listening posts with our membership, more and more, we're hearing a fear of the media, a fear of being negatively portrayed, a fear of misuse or twisting of facts and data. And we are at our hearts, a data-based organization, a numbers-based organization. We're a frequent flyer in terms of being a source in the media, by the way. When reporters were very conscientious and want to know how something works in healthcare, healthcare finance, we tend to be the ones that they call to really understand it. Sometimes we're a quoted source and sometimes we're not, but they know we're independent and that we will tell them the mechanics of, of how it works and without falling on one side or the other. So, you know, I think that we have a responsibility to not exonerate folks who end up in articles, but to point out how data was used or misused or how incomplete pictures have been drawn or wrong conclusions with the right data. So I think we have a place in this and we're, we're excited about that. I think it's a good exercise for us to go through. Patient-friendly payment has long been a favorite topic of mine. I thought this cover story was great. I think it's something that a lot of members are going to be interested in because no matter how good a job you think you do, you can probably always do better. So Brad Dennison, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Erica. Voices in Healthcare Finance is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Additional writing and research are done by Nick Hutt, Sean Stack, and the HFMA editorial staff. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is Chief Content Executive. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Don't forget to read the cover story and more in the March issue of HFM. You can find it in your mailbox and at hfma.org. Welcome, Brad. Hey, Erica.